0: We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical.
1: Just one more thing.
0: Hey, now. Oh boy.
1: Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did.
0: <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other What are these days? Are we having fun yet?
1: It's gonna be legend. Wait for it.
0: Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Hellens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening.
2: Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going?
1: Well, I don't get to have Thanksgiving this week, so I guess I'm not having as good a week as you.
2: Woo! It's going to be awesome once I catch up with those four reviews that I'm laid on for the website and put up this Ooh. podcast and put up The Walking Dead podcast and make Thanksgiving then it's gonna be uh, awesome the
1: world's smallest violin
2: yeah it is a, it is a pretty small violin but it's gonna be awesome once we actually get to, what is Canadian things like what are the the food traditions of Canadian Thanksgiving
1: we pretty much just do the same thing to be honest do we just tend to it you know it tends to be a little bit less ostentatious I suppose but you know we we have turkey and stuffing and cranberry and all that all that goodness although I personally cannot abide cranberry sauce
2: oh well that's that's interesting you're wrong how's that yes that's wow. so strange uh but I could I, mean, I could I could be down. maybe I need to just embrace my Canadian brethren a bit more and celebrate both Thanksgivings because I
1: could you could do that. I could get
2: down with that two Thanksgivings? they they
1: they really are the same yeah
2: <laughs> Well, we have uh, a fun show coming up. We, we're at the end of the show. We're going to talk with Dan Heaton from Sound Sight, who uh, he was previously on. I think we did Veronica Mars with him. Yes, and oh
1: yeah, that was quite a while ago.
2: And he's uh, here talking with us about Sports Night, which is our first baby steps into Aaron Sorkin since the New Newsroom. So that should be fun. Um, also, the the oh, FYI, the audio uh, for that is uh, not quite where I would hope. So just. Be warned, there's some some levels and things. So, uh, we apologize for that. Te- Televerse regrets the <laughs> some error. Levels and things. Um, but uh, we'll strive to have better audio quality for you in in the future. Um, we yes,
1: Skype is Skype is a a, a, te- a testy mistress.
2: Yes, very fickle. Anyways, that that was a lot of fun. Um, and we also I want to mention up here at the top we uh. I was on the TV Times 3 podcast this week, so that's going to be going up, I believe, on Wednesday. So we talked uh, about Fringe and some of the other shows that we're going to talk about here, a bunch of the Tuesday comedies and I think Parks and Rec. But we also talked about Grimm. And so for those of you who enjoy Grimm, I, you know, Simon doesn't watch it, so we don't really get to talk about it too much. That was particularly fun for me. So you go ahead and check out the TV Times 3 podcast if you want even more TV talk from me. Uh, we got some comments from you guys and tweets and everything. It was lovely hearing from you. We I got I had a uh nice conversation with Ken about The Walking Dead of course our Walking Dead podcast should be actually by the time this is up that should already be up on the the Televerse feed and iTunes or you can find it at Sound on Sight and that's the two of us along with Ricky we uh we were a little mixed on this like the three of us didn't quite agree on this episode
1: uh no i mean i think i think we all agreed they were good things and bad things i just don't think we necessarily agreed on what those good and bad things were
2: yes uh but that was uh yeah that that was interesting about like half an hour 40 minutes of, of walking dead talk so if you're looking for that you can you know check out Sound Sounddead site also i talked to a bunch of people about uh the amazing race which was fun and we'll we'll get to that later in the show but uh but we, let's let, let's mention first of all we didn't get any itunes ratings or reviews this week but hopefully next week we can be thankful for someone hooking us up that'd be very much appreciated huh huh uh-huh. Um, But I do want to mention at Sound On Site, we have that Blu-ray giveaway for the complete Friends box set. And to enter, you just need to email admin at soundonsight.org with uh, which friend are you most like, I believe is the question. And if you want a second entry in the drawing, then you can also email me, theteleverse at gmail.com, with your favorite Friends moment. And that's going to be running until... I believe the beginning of December, so you still have a little time there. I wish I was eligible because I want a ten, a free ten season Blu Ray box set of Friends. <laughs> that would be awesome.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty boss prize. I think it's probably the most ridiculously lavish thing we've ever given out.
2: So uh, hopefully, you you know somebody will, one of our listeners will will get that prize. Um, what else do we have going on at Sound of Side right now?
1: Uh well, uh it, it's not quite December yet, but December is Tarantino month, so we're gonna have we've already recorded one podcast. We're recording another one this weekend. We're actually storing them up, which is something we never do. <laughs> and um we're gonna be releasing those up until the release of Django Unchained. I assume we're gonna have some columns as well, which I imagine will be nice and controversial. And yes, if you haven't seen our our redesign, which is still relatively new and still relatively shiny. Not still relatively shiny, maybe not 100% totally complete, but uh we we have been enjoying it and um yeah. Did you check I think I think you should.
2: Not to mention we always have uh we have a lot of reviews going up every week for uh, TV coverage that is at Sound on Sight. Um let's see. We have Honestly, I actually think I do legitimately think there are too many to list at this point because we cover about, like, 15 shows every week.
1: Oh, so, at least. At least. Um, pro- probably more. And I personally do Homeland and The Walking Dead, both of which I got in on time this week, which was a bit of a miracle.
2: Yes, I'm I'm a little behind. I was out of town without internet, so I'm behind on Fringe, Vampire Diaries, and Treme, but those are those are mine as well. So you can... Hopefully, I'll be caught up with that in the next few days, so you can check out our reviews at Sound On site. Uh But we have uh, a lot of shows to talk about this week, so let's dive in here with Tuesday, and let's let's first, we're going to group again like we did a couple weeks ago, we're going to group the Tuesday comedies uh, all together, and so first, let's do uh, Ben and Kate, Career Day. Uh, what did you think of this when we had uh, Ben going in, trying to become a, a wine seller, and... Uh, then I I think the the moment for me this week was definitely BJ crying about the elephant and the dog, which got the first, like, (laughs) hardcore, you know, belly laugh from me that the show has has gotten. I like this episode. Uh, What about you?
1: I think, well, I feel like in general the Tuesday comedies were a lot stronger this week than last week. I'm not sure why that happened, but uh, I feel like this may have been their best episode yet, or at least their funniest, which is something that I feel like... Feel like a broken record on Ben and Kate, where it's like, oh, it's cute, but it's not quite funny enough. And this was actually really funny, which was great. And so I feel like they're maybe about to hit their stride, which would be really nice because I, I support them, and I, I, it was nice to see them get a full up, a uh, full season order. But they don't seem to be doing very well ratings wise. So hopefully, it it means it's picking up steam and picking up an audience.
2: Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, yeah, this was good. I agree. New girl was good. Menzies. Uh, we got. Uh, yeah, a very blissed out. Nick, um, angry, and then trying to get rid of, diffuse his rage. Not to mention some nice stuff with Schmidt and Cece. Uh, what did you think about the Winston stuff, though? I still feel like they haven't really figured out Winston.
1: Yeah, no, that 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 was probably the low point of the episode, but it was still a lot better than I think the last few episodes um to to me the the asterisk for tuesday comedies are getting better is mindy project which i feel like still isn't quite working
2: this episode has, was one that you know because I look through the 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 week in, the weeks in TV and kind of type up what's coming and so this episode Danny Castellano is my gynecologist is one that has been shuffled around a few times I think it was supposed to be like episode three and then it was gonna be episode five and and so I, I think they weren't really sure where to place it uh, you can see there's you know the, there's that opening scene which I actually really enjoyed with the pants uh, that uh, was tacked on because it, it, there are conflicting things in the episode. Uh, right, yeah. But uh, I do think it was... I was a little nervous about it because it's been jumped moving around, but I actually enjoyed it, and I think that cast is starting to come together. Though they need to really... They need to use Anna Camp. I don't understand why they aren't. Yeah,
1: I had the same thought where they seem to bring in Anna Camp for one scene in every episode, and she never fits in with every, with every other character at all. She's yeah. just sort of around. And they sort of made a... Half-hearted attempt to ever interact with some other people this week, but it didn't really work. She's being totally wasted for sure.
2: Yeah, um, and then we have a uh, happy endings boys to Menorah. I I think this was one of their more successful, uh, at least maybe the most successful this season so far. Which and I uh, I, I think the highlight was the the Max and uh, and Brad stuff. Um, though I did enjoy Alex being just really. Dim, I guess, is the right word. It's not that she's stupid so much as she just—it takes her a minute there... sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Uh, happy endings was good. Uh, I, I still, I continue to feel like I place it just a slight notch under the other comedies that I really enjoy, just because I do find it a little formulaic and a little bit too safe. But uh, this—I mean, if if you're gonna do a happy endings episode, you may as well involve, you know, comedy stylings that bar mitzvahs and ridiculous dance routines and airport takedowns
2: yeah seriously why not why not (laughs) um uh let's see we have uh next we have parenthood which i unfortunately was not able to get to um but what what was happening with the braverman clan this week
1: this was a bit of a middling episode It, it had like usual with parenthood some good moments some annoying music cues actually since i'm talking about this alone i may as well rant for a bit I have no idea why on earth they would have a romantic scene between uh, May Whitman and Matt Lauria earlier in the, early in the episode, set to a song that is earnestly titled, I Don't Want Love by the Antlers. (laughs) This is not an arch or ironic show. It can't get away with things like that, and it shouldn't try. Um, So, you know, again, the music in the show continues to baffle me in strange ways. But uh other than that, it was a, a a fine episode. I'm I'm really struggling to remember individual elements of the episode other than the May Whitman Matt Lauria stuff. Uh the cancer plot line continues to roll on in more or less the expected fashion. The one disappointment was there was no Ray Romano this week, so you didn't miss any any movement on that front.
2: Oh, that's too bad. I, I will uh catch up with that episode as well as this week's. Hopefully, uh it, we're gonna have a couple days here with uh next week in the, or at least on the next podcast where you know thanks to thanksgiving they're we're going to have a few days off so hopefully i will have time to catch up with that on wednesday we had the next installment of top chef seattle we really liked the premiere and the way that they changed it up there uh, i'm not really feeling the way they changed it up this time
1: i i, th- I think it was still a strong a, a strong outing i think in terms of the cooking it was still fine but i agree that i wasn't crazy about the twist of adding more people because, if anything, the great thing about the start of the season was that we weren't starting out with such a huge crowd. And, I I mean, I haven't seen every season of Top Chef, so I don't know any of these people. Oh, okay. I don't know if these people have resonance for you or not.
2: Yes, I, I remember each of these people from their time on the show, uh, with varying degrees of uh, positivity and negativity. So we'll see um, what happens with it, but... I yeah you know, I don't think it's a particular I, I think they they do a good job of addressing whether it is a it helps them or not whether it's an advantage or or a disadvantage to be uh, coming back I think that both sides make valid points but um, yeah I I would be more more far more interested in just seeing this new batch of chefs I think they seem really interesting and I'm I'm enjoying them so far at least so I kind of wish that they it was just them but
1: yeah also is it just me or is Calicio being a bit more hands on this season.
2: A little bit more. Uh, I was worried that it was going to turn into a a co- like a coaches and mentors and teams thing, like Team Calicio versus Team Emerald or or whatever. And so I was very glad that that didn't happen. Especially when I had heard everybody talking about some sort of twist. But uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I always enjoy watching Top Chef and seeing what you know the chefs come up with and the crazy challenges.
1: Mm-hmm. I I should say I haven't been blown away by any of the cooking yet. Like, mm-hmm. there's been nothing that I just look at and, like, ma, which <laughs> it in- inevitably happens in the best bits of Top Chef, but uh, I'm-, I'm still hoping that's going to be coming later.
2: Yeah, it's still early. Next, we have Supernatural, a little slice of Kevin, uh, which was... Uh, Entertain. We finally got some answers about Cass. Uh, I thought that was very well executed. I look forward to Amanda Tapping being on the show. I was a, fa- and I'm a fan of hers from, uh, from Stargate SG1. So you know, we'll see. I think I don't know if she's playing Metatron or, or what's really going on there, but I think what we get is pretty good. Uh, I I wasn't as big a fan of Mrs. Tran this week. I I did the performance that is, uh, but other than that, you know, I'm, I'm still enjoying uh enjoying supernatural and i do i think this season is a definite improvement over what we were getting before so more dean and less sam at least right now is a good thing so this episode made me a happy kate but let's move on to thursday and again we're going to group the comedies we have 30 rock aunt fatso versus jack donaghy parks and rec leslie versus april always sunny charlie's mom has cancer the league the tailgate and the i believe season finale of children's hospital eulogy so there's a lot going on on thursday what stands out for you
1: well of those i i i've decided to not catch the league so i i, I have no i have no opinion on that
2: oh the league was good it's one oh, of their it? better ones oh. of the season yeah
1: oh well that's that's unfortunate ken marino um, shows
2: up we got a bunch of uh, fun guest stars so y'all to y'all to catch up with that one later
1: I, I will try. Um, I'm always touch and go with the league these days. But um, let's see. I, I feel like the, the obvious highlight of this block was Joe Biden's appearance on Parks and Rec, <laughs> which for me eclipsed the rest of the episode, which I can now barely remember.
2: Oh, that's unfortunate. I really like this episode. Um, I, I, you know, when I, Whenever we get more April, um, in, in, in the correct context, I think it's, it's a good thing. So watching April and Leslie fight over the the park and and bringing it back to that original lot in season one I thought was was fun it was just the the human farm <laughs> with her creepy friend and... oh
1: yes Oren
2: oh god yeah that was that was pretty great uh thirty rock I think the um the the stuff with Donaghy and Tracy Jordan was interesting. But uh, again, I enjoyed it when I watched it, but it's not really standing out to me. And with Always Sunny, as as much as I was laughing and, and enjoying this episode, it does, again, feel like they're running out of ideas. It's This is the third episode this season where it's been highly reminiscent of a previous episode. And they've been sort of commenting on the fact that they're doing the same things. That's funny and that works the first time. It doesn't really work anymore by the third yeah. time.
1: Yeah what's worrisome is it's not their last season. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're already on contract for at least one more, I think. And they they seem to they seem to be making a point this season of making reference to other to previous episodes as much as possible like it's actually a theme in the same way that Fat Mac was a theme mm-hmm. last season and it's not as good a theme as Fat Mac. I just want to put that out there.
2: Well, I think they they had a newfound like burst of creativity with Fat Mac last season. I do, and I think last season the season was at seven is if not their best one of their one of their best seasons. Uh, it was really strong, and so that makes I think even by comparison, this season feel even less creative and interesting than it would be, you know, in the context of seasons maybe five and six.
1: Yeah, that 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 being said, I did like the pitch black tone of the ending of this episode. Yeah, which was <laughs> a a nice contrast to the relatively family friendly fare we were getting for the rest of the night.
2: Yeah. Um, and then Children's Hospital is one of I I enjoy, enjoyed this episode and just the um the ridiculousness of it. I and mean, I always enjoy when they do a Newsreaders episode uh and I guess we are getting uh, another spin-off in the uh, in January if if this episode is to be, to be believed. Um, and when, you know, again, Rob Corddry's on everything and this episode is about his character's death, sort of, And just the way that the episode ends is pretty great. And I assume when we come back, he's just going to be alive again and they're not going to comment on it.
1: I would love if they stayed in continuity and worked with him, maybe, maybe as a ghost.
2: Oh God, that um, would be awesome.
1: That would be great. I feel like they could do a lot with that. I love how a season later they're, they can still milk, the Kate Walsh joke, and it oh, still gosh. works. Oh, Hilarious. <laughs> Love it.
2: <laughs> um, So, that, I think that's you know, anything else on Thursday comedies, or is that the, the nope. gist? I thought it was
1: a pretty, pretty solid batch for the most part.
2: Who won this week, Tuesday or Thursday?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to have to go with, oh, they're really close this week. I don't know. That's tricky. I feel like Tuesday was more consistent, but okay. Thursday maybe had some higher peaks.
2: I think I I think I'd agree with that. Uh, I, I I'd give it to Thursday. I think I liked Parks and Rec more than you did, so that probably is what edges it over. Also, I enjoyed the League, and you didn't get to see it, so there you go. Uh, yeah. I, I think I put Thursday over Tuesday, but Tuesday's keeping it uh, competitive, so. Good on good on them. Um, next, we have the Vampire Diaries. We all go a little mad sometimes, and I'm sure Vampire Diaries fans were either uh, squeeing with delight at the end of the episode, or or uh, uh, very disappointed in what appears to be the uh, Delena mo- move that the show has made. What did you think of this episode, and what we might seem to be, you know, what what looks like it's coming ahead for us.
1: Um, you know, I I don't really care that much about who <laughs> she's with at any given moment because I feel like the show will always inevitably bring it back to her and Stefan anyway. Mm-hmm. So you know, we're just waiting for the inevitable collapse. And um, I I really feel like she should just sit down with the two of them and say, "Listen, you're both great. You have both got qualities. Let's let's make it happen. <laughs> let's let's just let's get, yo, get some you, you, and Jim action. You've you've been around for hundreds of years. Can't we be a little bit more enlightened? But no, I guess that's never going to happen, because that's not how drama works. But uh, other than that, it was an okay episode. Um, I really didn't think they—they really hyped up how hellish this would be for Elena— and I don't think they did a good enough job of making it hellish.
2: Of executing. I like that they brought back her mom. I thought that was very effective. Um, I like that they brought back Catherine as well. That was cool. It's been a while. And it was fun to to see Nina Dobrev. <laughs> they
1: brought back Catherine. It wasn't, didn't take too much effort.
2: <laughs> yes, but they brought back the character. Uh, but I thought it was nice to contrast. Even if it's obviously not an accurate portrayal of Catherine. Because... You know, it's it's a, the curse trying to screw with her, or whatever. It was nice to see. Uh, it, it, was, it was nice to see the differences between Catherine and Vampire Elena, and I think Nina Dovreb has done a good job of of distinguishing those two uh, characters. What do you think about the five and Jeremy? I I really, really don't care about Professor. Yeah, I, I agree.
1: Shane. Their their efforts to make me care about Jeremy have fallen on. Oh no! i don't know
2: i care about jeremy i don't care about professor shane who i think we're just supposed to assume that he's silas right he's he's silas or he's going to summon silas and that's going to be our big bad and
1: oh yeah we're definitely we're i really hope we haven't already seen silas because i i don't want it to be any of the dudes we've already met (laughs) and yeah they could not have foreshadowed that any clumsier or more obviously
2: oh gosh yeah well and it doesn't help that I want to like Bonnie, and it's something that I've said in, so, in my previous review from last week. I want to like Bonnie, but when she's being such a freaking idiot, it's really hard. And Yeah, she's, like, yeah.
1: she's being the Andrea of Vampire Diaries right now.
2: It's cool. I don't, I don't even know this guy, but he, he knows a lot of stuff about, about magic, and when we do meditation, I lose hours of time. That couldn't be bad. I'm sure I'm not killing people while I black out or anything. You know, come on. She, oh, I want to like you, Bonnie. Stop being an utter ignoramus. Um, so other than that, I I did actually like this episode, despite my Bonnie issues and Jeremy issues. Oh, I just I'm hoping that the Silas thing turns out better than it looks like it will.
1: Yeah. I mean I'm just I think my main issue is I, I enjoy it episode to episode, but I'm not really all that stoked about any of the plot irons it has in the fire.
2: Yeah. Fingers crossed that you know things get interesting with the cure or whatever. But uh, let's, let's move on to Last Resort, which unfortunately got the axe this week, as you predicted uh, back when we were first uh, when we were first reviewing the pilot. Yeah, it's not really a surprise, but it's still a disappointment. I need more Andre Brower in my life, so I think it just further confirms that we really need to do a Men of a Certain Age uh, DVD shelf.
1: Yes, we do. Uh, and anyone who wants to comment on that, fine. Andre Brower. You're always welcome. Unjustified is all I have to say.
2: Yeah, hey, I take that. Uh, uh, what'd you think of this episode? Nuke it out. Um, I, I thought
1: it was solid. Um, I'll, I didn't bother me as much as last week's episode, which I found a little bit gimmicky. Did the, I continued? I, 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 don't think anyone really cares about the romantic entanglements on this show.
2: I really don't.
1: I, I, I kind of, I, I would be curious to see what the, sh- what another version of the show would do with that plot time after ditching those elements, because I feel like that could have been a more interesting show. But the actual, you know, intrigue parts of the show, I think, are, are still working uh, fairly well. Interesting to see uh, Robert Patrick in a, in a very different position at the end of the episode. And I, I think the main thing, honestly, that I'm looking forward to is is I'm wondering, since they got the axe, they've gotten at least enough notice to rejig the finale, which I'm really looking forward to. I'm going to see if it can pull an awake and just go balls out nuts at the end. Because they know they're not getting any more, and this is the sort of show where it could have a really huge ending.
2: The world could have a just nuclear meltdown. It could
1: just blow up, yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> I would not be, that would be pretty damn cool, to be honest. But um, I'll be curious to see if, if they have enough time to also rejig the episodes before that and sort of ramp up a little bit more and uh, and kick up the pace even more than they've already done.
2: Yeah, that would be nice. Definitely. I And I think if anybody is, has the potential to deliver on something like that, it, it is Sean Ryan. And he also said, and I talk about this on the TV Times 3 podcast, but he did uh, send out to Twitter that he is going to deliver a, a finale <laughs> that they will put something together to have a distinct ending. So we'll see what happens with that. I... I uh, I actually was very much not a fan of of what we get at the end with Robert Patrick's character, the Cobb. Uh, that is completely uninteresting to me, and uh, I want to think that the show is going to go somewhere different than the million other times we've seen this storyline. Except that they haven't done, they haven't gone in a different way with the love triangles or the, you know, some of these other elements on the show. They haven't surprised me. Like I would hope that a Sean Ryan show would. So I actually have very little hope of any anything interesting with the Cobb. You know, it, it, if if he just immediately came back to base and reported into Andre Bauer's character that what had happened and that he needed, you know, he was going to need some detox or something like that, then that would be great. But I really think we're just going to get several episodes here of secret addiction and, I mean, nobody, are you really actually looking forward to that?
1: Uh, Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, I I would like to see them go a different way with that. And sometimes they have. I mean, I feel like they accelerated the Jesse Schramm plot more than I was expecting. That's true. Which was nice. And and as well as pairing her up with Autumn Rezor, which was great. And I feel like that's really kind of redeemed the DC stuff a little bit mm-hmm but uh yeah we'll see I, I i do think it has the power to be unexpected and maybe slightly accelerated
2: yeah we'll see how that goes i do agree that the dc stuff has been far more interesting i like those two kind of teaming up against the world i think that actually works pretty well so uh yeah so we'll see we'll see what happens um definitely still a disappointment that it's canceled but i guess we'll see what sean ryan does next yes and on friday we had grim season of the Hexen beast i'm actually gonna skip talking about this one in any length because we did spend so long talking about it on tv times three and because you don't watch it but i think it was a the thing i, I have to mention is it was a to be continued but you get to the end there's a cliffhanger it says to be continued sorry because <laughs> this That's is their cute. fall finale, and it's not coming back for a while. They're already about halfway through the season, so uh, I thought that was pretty great. Well done, NBC, and thank you for that little touch. Um, but let's talk about Fringe five twenty ten.
1: I feel like maybe I'm alone in this, but the the Peter Observer kicking ass, becoming yeah, be- becoming a little bit more unhinged and uh, from from human reality. That stuff was great. Rest of the episode, eh. (laughs) I don't know. I wasn't engaged with with uh, Blair Brown or any of that stuff at all.
2: I liked it. I was glad to see Nina back. I always enjoy Blair Brown. I I do think it's remarkable how much better they've done at aging, both her and Lance Reddick as broils this this season. It was kind of glaring last season when they did their flash forward so that was that little touch was nice uh yeah i i was still interested and in, i'm interested in the walter progression as well so i think they've actually done a pretty good job of of matching those two my biggest complaint remains astrid let just Nicole a cold do anything
1: yeah it's really <laughs> the longer it goes on the more glaring it is
2: it's ridiculous and uh I- we did get confirmed that she does sleep at the lab <laughs> this week. <laughs> Literally. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, it, yeah, we talked about this in the TV Times 3 podcast, but the tapes are all in the the lab, but they're squirreled around to various points. of. They're not, like, together in any way. It just, I, I'm having trouble with the tapes, but... I think what this episode does and does get right, um, and I did like you know the the Walter stuff, the Blair Brown stuff, much more than you did. What this episode does get right though is um, Peter, and I, I think it's great to see Joshua Jackson get some, some material to work with. I feel like he often is the the least served of the main cast. He he tends to be reliable guy most of the yeah. time, the character. So it's nice to, to see Joshua Jackson actually get to do something interesting.
1: Well, and by do something you mean act like an observer, which was pretty cool. It, 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 I th- I feel like he got the mannerisms down pat, which was nice to see.
2: Well, and I like that you could kind of see him transitioning in and out of it at various points yeah. with, cause Peter's still sort of in between. So I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that, uh, the progression over the course of the episode, I thought it worked really well. So we'll see what, uh, what comes with, with that. We only have, I think next week is our, this final episode. Oh no, we were off this week. Then we have maybe one more this fall before waiting until January, something like that.
1: Yeah, hopefully they they send her out with a bang.
2: Yeah, well, there's only five episodes left, so and the, it's a two part finale, so we're we're really getting in towards the end game here. But uh, I think they're going out they're they're going out well.
1: It doesn't feel like we're there yet, but you know I guess we're just not used to Fringe having short seasons.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Um, let's move on though to Sunday and the amazing race episode uh this was leg 8 uh of tw- I think it's what tw- 21 I want to say season, season 21 or race 21. Um this was in Moscow and we saw we said goodbye to the rockers um uh, your 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 boys the rockers well I guess your secondary boys your actual boys are the Chippendales but uh
1: can I just say that my choice of the Chippendales is looking was, better. Yeah, is looking really good right now because they this was the first time they won, right? Yeah, and it's not. It's if you got to win for a first time, it's good to do it late in the game. And they've been really solid. The only thing that has me concerned is uh, is the bum ankle. But um, yeah, the fact that, that I I picked them right away because they're not a couple. They're they're physically capable and they're nice dudes. Yeah, and who didn't seem like they'd be fighting or fighting with other people. Yeah. So they, they seemed like a pretty solid bit. I was confused when nobody else picked them, and it made me a little bit lonely, but now I feel better. Uh, James and Abba, like they've got to be some of the nicest dudes I've ever seen on the show, mm-hmm. and, and and the coolest, and it, just the way they went out was so depressing and random.
2: There's been a lot of people screwed by cabs this season. I know that... I remember Phil Cogan had said that in some of the early interviews at the beginning of the season. We saw Amy Purdy got eliminated... Because of a cab, uh, and and there are a couple other teams like the volleyball college volleyball player and basketball player. Yeah, yeah. They got eliminated because of a cab. There have been a bunch of people who've gotten eliminated because of cab choice or random happenstance. So, uh, I I mean I think that James Napa are a definite contender for the next time they have like a a a best of season where they have contestants who didn't win come back to try again. Uh, I think Amy Purdy and. Jamie uh and, and Daniel, sorry, I should I should include her partner as well. And as well as the Rockers would be excellent contenders for that. It just it sucks. You don't have your passport, so you you know, it doesn't matter that you're hours ahead of what anybody else, you know, these other teams were at. You just have to leave.
1: Yeah. Uh I really love this the stuff with uh with Ryan taking the test oh, God. over and over and over, and that professor guy I, they got was amazing.
2: I love that professor. <laughs> I
1: loved how awkward it was when one of the when one of the contestants got it right the first time, and he still did the fake out. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, uh, which which was uh, pretty hilariously uh, stilted. Mm. But uh, yeah, he was great, and I also loved the uh, the cab driver we got early in the episode, who's just
2: like hanging out
1: <laughs> in the in the pink shirt and like smoking like chain smoking in the in the cab. That was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the challenges weren't I, I, I think you mentioned to me that the Russian dance challenge was not nearly difficult enough and it really wasn't like I could have done that and I have two left feet yeah. and also two left hands
2: yeah I mean the, the only challenge to that was that you know, if you had a physical issue like you know James and Abba had, the one had the knee problem and the James and James have uh, the one guy had his ankle one James I should say had his ankle was was really sore but as soon as you know you see them Going to do this challenge, he's like, oh, coffee grinder. Okay, we got this.
1: Yeah. Kick, kick, oh, yeah, kick, that, kick. That was great. The other depressing part of the episode was when James and Abby get eliminated, we don't get to see any of the stuff that they did, including the speed bump.
2: Well, which, it, no, we do see the speed bump, which was the, the limo thing. That was the speed bump. But I oh, think they probably, okay. honestly, I think they just didn't do them. Because if they didn't have their passport, they weren't going to be able to go on anyway. So why do, a, like, the dance challenge, you know?
1: Oh, fair enough. Okay. That's yeah. what I would
2: assume that they, you know, yeah. you know, maybe if they weren't so tired and sore and, you know, then they would have done it anyway, but
1: Is this the first time in the show's history that someone's been eliminated that way by losing their passport? No.
2: I don't believe it has. The last time it came up, I think was last season, but, you know, they were through the power of Twitter. <laughs> someone actually they actually managed to get the passport back because they were still in the states where people actually know what the Amazing Race is. Um, but uh <laughs> But but no that this I believe this is not the first time that a passport has eliminated a team.
1: Mm-hmm. It's just the most
2: depressing.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, especially given the cancer and the injury, and yeah. now this, it's just like, oh, uh, yeah, that's, it really sucks. So yes, hopefully they return at some point.
2: Yep. Uh, let's move on to Bob's Burgers and indecent Thanksgiving proposal. This episode was amazing. This is, does this episode win this week? Was Bob's the best? It's, it's Bob's or Parks for me. I think, I think
1: Bob's was me. the best. Uh, Th- Bob's was a little more consistent for me, but yeah, everything about this was great. Um, the only reason, honestly, the only reason I didn't want to spotlight it is because I don't have that much to say, except it was hilarious, <laughs> and every episode of Bob should be some sort of holiday episode, and every episode of Bob should feature a dream sequence.
2: <laughs> or tripping I- on
1: absinthe. Or tripping on absinthe, yeah. I, I loved how incredibly surreal that was, and I-, I feel like there's a certain sort of weird sweetness only the show can get away with, where at the end of the episode, the, uh, the Belcher clan sits sits around drinking absinthe and talking about it, and it's it's bizarre and not really. If you were watching real people do it, you'd think it was strange, but it's okay to do on Bob's Burgers. And um, yeah, I, I think the line of the week actually for me, I forget whether it was Tina or um or or, or Louise or who who exactly said it, but there, there was a line about um th- someone wanted to know what the lady parts were. <laughs> And 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 uh, and one of the girls answered the vagina and the heart. <laughs> that was awesome.
2: Yeah, that does feel like a, a Tina line. Uh, yeah, that, that that was that was great. And for for once, I actually instantly recognized Kevin Klein's voice, which made me feel proud of myself. I'm not gonna lie, but uh, yeah, I, I think Bob's has shown that they really do holiday episodes best. Thanksgiving or Halloween, which one wins? I, I think I give Ooh. it to, to Thanksgiving just because the whole. Th- thing with salad whereas with halloween there was the less interesting parent storyline
1: yeah i guess um yeah this was maybe a little bit more consistent but um yeah and just bob talking to his turkey and uh lance the, his name is lance lance yes and uh yeah just the whole staging of the of the shootout at the <laughs> end and just so so much goodness this and if you start to break down the constituent parts this show is really bizarre like even for an animated sitcom, like airing mm-hmm. on a Sunday, it's 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 really out there. So the fact that it's it seems to be doing decently kind of shocks me and delights me.
2: Well, and I also want to mention the the animation of the the dream sequence. You mentioned when I was talking to you that it felt very Miyazaki, and I think that's absolutely accurate. It was nice yeah. to see that little element of a slight shift in the animation.
1: Yeah, and I very rarely notice the animation for for good or ill, so it was it was nice to see a, a little bit of style creep in
2: yeah let's move on to the good wife here comes the judge we had amanda pete back on the show we were playing the you know her for her first time going up against the firm as part of the da's office we get uh i always enjoy it was it's judd hirsch right as the judge yeah. as well as uh kurt fuller, kurt fuller as the other judge who's fabulous always glad to see him pop up um yeah what did you think
1: yeah i don't know not, I'm not sure how, how how I felt this one. First of all, we get the return of, we get more stuff with Kalinda and her husband, which we all know is terrible, so all that stuff was a waste of time, in, including the end of the episode, which was a real groaner, because you just know that means it's going to be him around more, and also because they're sending up Carrie and Kalinda, which I also don't care about. So yeah, yeah. Kalinda continues to be a huge problem for me. The main case uh, where they were trying to prove bias uh, it felt a little bit broad for the good way for me like it didn't feel specialized enough if that makes sense like it kind of felt like a sort of an obvious soapy uh conflict for them to have
2: it felt like a law and order episode
1: yeah (laughs) maybe that's another way to put it um which and yeah and the this was mentioned elsewhere but the idea that this case could immediately make them financially solvent didn't really seem to make sense but anyway
2: yeah um
1: other than that, yeah, I don't know. There wasn't really... And obviously the stuff with the daughter was also a waste of time.
2: Oh, I, I thought that was good. I, I'm interested in the stuff with the daughter. I've missed the kids. I also like the uh, <laughs> the son single-handedly <laughs> fixing the IT department. Uh it was pretty entertaining. I, I like that continuing thread with him.
1: I, I like the kids. I just didn't care about either of their plot lines at all.
2: Well, I, just um, Alicia's reaction to... Grace's new boyfriend. I thought it was just so measured and intelligent and uh, I I really appreciated that. It reminded me of of um Tony and Treme with with uh, Sophia. I was like if I tell her not to go out with the guy, she's just going to want to go out with him more. So we're just going to be cool about this.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: So I yeah, I appreciated that the the domestic side, but I would agree it's not one of their not one of their best. The way that I think that the judge storyline was differentiated from what would feel, you know, be a regular Law and Order sort of storyline is that I do feel like we got a stronger sense of the the cost, especially to Alicia of you know of going up you know going up against this judge and I, I did get a strong sense of uh, Alicia did not want to be there, did not want to be doing this, and that it is going to come up in future episodes where she's going to have a really difficult time with some of these judges because she was the the spokesperson for for this decision.
1: Yeah. Um, I hope they don't lean on it too much because I don't want to be reminded of the hokier aspects of this episode, but I'm, I'm hoping they get back to sort of the specialized legal flammery that we enjoy from The Good Wife and less, way less of the soapy BS that's taking up way too the much type. of the episode.
2: But, touche. Yeah. Um, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we have a separate Walking Dead podcast, so that's where we'll, we have our thoughts on Hounded. Um, we, yeah, as you said earlier, we had some issues with the episode, some things that we liked, but, you know, we had a nice discussion about that. You can listen to it at Sound On Sight. Next, we have Tremay. Didn't It Rain? And this is the penultimate episode of this season. Of course, it's Tremay. I, I love Tremay, but, uh, I don't, I did think this wasn't quite their best, so that's why it's not in the spotlight. Um, did you get a chance to see this one?
1: I did. And, yeah, I, I agree with you. It was a slight notch below... If only because I, I feel like Treme usually has a nice balance of wins and losses. You know, people sort of e- eking out some nice moments for themselves, and then otherwise not so much. And because maybe because it's a penultimate episode, there were this was felt a lot heavier on the losses, and it was frankly a bit of a downer.
2: Yeah, the only the only win has got to be uh, Tony and Terry, right?
1: Yeah, what which we which we didn't even get to see quite yet but there was a a very very small quiet moment of win there but yeah everything with Oh, let's see everybody basically i mean especially (laughs) the, the, the davis stuff is just such a downer
2: yeah but you know what i'm tired of davis uh i'm completely with annie on this and i want him i want her to dump his ass now granted it helps that we know that he cheated on her but you know when she's got a million things to do and he's so self involved that he he's not even going to help her run her errands or anything. He's just going to lie on his bed drunk before noon and you just have yeah, I understand taking a personal day, but come on.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I, I relate to Davis in his pathetic ways and his his is not so stellar reaction to defeat or perceived defeat. Uh that 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 rings true for me. And you know, he's Davis, he'll bounce back before the show is over maybe not this season but in the brief season we get next week i'm I'm not worried about him in the long term but i'm worried about
2: him right now bro uh anyway he's just so self-involved
1: yeah well you know he's a musician
2: <laughs> yeah i don't know
1: sorry sorry easy sh- easy it's all good.
2: I, I did very much enjoy uh the stuff that we got with uh with Jeanette though and at the restaurant um I'm looking forward to where we're going and that last scene we get with her coming back to her apartment and there's no food and, you know, she doesn't have anything. Apparently that is very much the case with chefs from everything that I've heard, uh, that often you'll see, you know, chefs end up eating like fast food or, you know, because they don't want to get home and cook and they don't, you know, they're not at home long enough to have a fully stocked anything.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, so I
2: thought that felt, that was cool and, and it made a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, that was it. Was a very Treme complaint to have people just ordering the same dish and for it to be just a goddamn nuisance.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. We only get one scene with uh, with Anthony Anderson, but I did enjoy that exchange. Yes,
1: and man, how much punishment are we gonna are they gonna put Candy Alexander through?
2: Yeah, but you know what? I'm looking forward to next week. She's going going to testify, and I look forward to that. I really feel like the reason we've seen her struggle these last few episodes is because I do think she's going to have a triumphant moment in the finale.
1: Man, she'd better. If she doesn't, it's just going to be too much.
2: I I, I am looking forward to, to seeing what happens with her. I, she's such a, a strong, unbowed character, he, despite how hard you can see that it's, she's really trying. She's really struggling. Um, so, so I think that I, I do think she's going to get a, a triumphant moment to some degree next week. Um, I, I don't think they're going to want to go out on that same depressing <laughs> note that perhaps they've been at at this point.
1: I really, really hope not.
2: Now, see what else about uh, Delmond and uh, the uh, and Albert and the jazz center, or Antoine or Desiree and the the kids or the housing.
1: Well, I feel like this is a David Simon show, so there's no way the Chaz Center is going to be all it's cracked up to be or really even happen. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of waiting to see how it's going to fall apart and how badly everyone will be screwed. Like, I mean, I guess uh, Delman's already gotten a check for $20,000, so <laughs> he can't be totally screwed. But, it, yeah, that's. I feel like that Chaz Center is not going to survive the season.
2: You wouldn't be surprised. Um, anything else on Treme? Any predictions for our finale?
1: It, it was solid. I, I don't like to to... to to predict finale stuff too often for shows like this, but I feel like it's, it's been a really great season and I'm hoping they can uh, cap it off um, with, uh, with a really solid outing.
2: Yeah. We'll see. Next we have Homeland. I'll fly away.
1: And this I thought was also like good, not quite up to its best. uh, Similar to Treme this week for me, the, I I feel like there was a little bit too much buildup to, Brody's escape at the end I feel like in terms of homeland cliffhangers it was it was good it was cool but a it was teased last week in the in the promo which they really shouldn't have done and b, it it just paled in comparison to uh, to some other uh, stunts they pulled are we meant to believe that Abu Nazir is in the States yes Okay, that I don't quite buy. I have to say, it, it's the it's the equivalent of Bin Laden coming stateside, and it just doesn't seem practical in any way.
2: Well, as as they were, you know, some mysterious car was coming up. I was like, it has to be Abu Nazir. because that's, either it's somebody that we know who's the secret mole, which would feel completely terrible, uh, or uh, it just wouldn't wouldn't it would feel completely inauthentic. Or it's if Abu if Nasir, they really so. wanted
1: if they really wanted to blow our minds, it would have been Obama.
2: the uh i did think it was interesting to see you know your osama bin laden type clean shaven nice you know armani suit or whatever that was uh so we'll see where this is going but uh, i think if there's anyone who's going to be able to see through brody's uh you know ruse it's going to be nazir so that should be interesting
1: well, you, you, know, you just brought up the suit and the clean-shavenness. I, I, it would be interesting. I don't know if they're going to go this way to have Nazir revealed as less of an ideologue and more just an opportunist. Um, Die that hard? Be, yeah. That, that that would be an, an interesting direction to take. Uh, but, I mean, obviously, for me, the, the highlight of the episode was the Brody-Carrie interaction, which continues to, just to be stellar, mm-hmm. and both actors just, just absolutely killing it. And I, 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 I wrote this in my review, but I feel like if season one was the mystery of whether or not Brody had turned, which they eventually resolved, this, the mystery of season two is is Carrie insane. <laughs> and and <laughs> spoiler and to what degree... alert,
2: yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and but but you know to what degree and what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. And you know to to what degree is she capable of controlling her emotions? It, 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 can she at all? Does she even want to? Mm-hmm. And she's really the enigma of this season, and that's a good. A, a, great direction for them to go, as long as they're relying on, on those two actors, they really c- can do no wrong in terms of the broad strokes.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, the last thing I'll mention is Dana. I thought she was really good this week. I thought it made sense for her to go to Mike. And I like, I, you know, yes. this this Mike, I, I'm happy to have on the show. This sort of, you know, presence as opposed from him. to
1: interloper Mike? as
2: Well, as opposed to uh, gumshoe Mike.
1: Right, yes. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was I've been surprised at the way they've folded Mike back in in ways that mostly feel organic. And it, and it makes sense what when he when he has that that when she asks him how how how, how hard it was just to disappear. It's like that. Yeah, that's actually a very valid question that everyone should have been thinking about and for some reason nobody did until just now. <laughs> so that that was one of those uh, very sharp writing moments that I that are great to see on, on and that Homeland in particular is so great at at pulling off. I'm trying to think of anything else to mention. I, I guess uh, I'm, I'm still enjoying quinn on the show I, I wish he was getting a little bit more to do in the wake of his shooting he's just kind of back doing the same thing which is a little bit disappointing
2: mm. uh the uh, i i like that he still looks sort of haggard though <laughs> just doesn't look 100 yes. that's it's good yeah. that they haven't asked us
1: how can we not mention the most awkward sex scene of 2012
2: hilarious <laughs> Oh, that was great. Oh, my God. oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty hilarious. Uh,
1: I've never felt worse for Saul than trying to defend Carrie while. Or even just Quinn having just... to
2: listen to that. Like,
1: oh. Even having to listen, but also having to defend her while Quinn just keeps pumping up the volume.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty terrible. <laughs> Poor Saul.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. So I feel like Saul's not getting enough to do in general this season. I, I did like his sort of sojourn with Eileen uh, mm-hmm. earlier in the season, but I'm. I needs more Saul. Yeah, come on, boys.
2: Everybody needs more Saul. On Monday we had uh, was it Untold Stories of America.
1: Yeah, this is Oliver Stone's Untold History of the United States. It actually aired a second part this past Monday, but I haven't seen it yet. I only saw the one from last week, so this is technically a misnomer. But you know, I it, it's it's an interesting idea. I don't feel like it goes far enough. I feel like if I'm getting a historical documentary series narrated and conceived by Oliver Stone. I want batshit crazy. <laughs> I want stuff that makes no sense. I want jarring edits and ridiculous music cues and, you know, basically I, I want ten hours of JFK is what I want. And 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 this isn't it. It's actually a lot more grounded. It's it's much more serious. It's, uh, relatively batshit crazy free. The idea of presenting a basic counter. What kids are being taught in school. Historical thesis, I think, is, is a solid one. But I don't think anyone who knows anything about history, at least based on this first episode, which is based on World War II, is going to be too bowled over by the by the thesis. Which here is, you know, any kids who are being taught that that, that the United States won World War II are being lied to or, or at least are being given bold exaggerations, which I don't think – yeah you know, you're i'm are you are you shocked by that statement i i don't think you are Kate. no
2: no i'm not
1: no um but uh there are, there is some interesting stuff I, I i was particularly interested in the stuff about uh vice president wallace uh who i is who is a guy i I've, I've i have do not think ever heard anything about really and stone kind of lionizes him in in interesting ways as well as oppenheimer who who we get a little bit of um a little bit of interesting information about that i hadn't heard before. But, yeah, I'm hoping that I, – I might check in on some other episodes, but I'm hoping it gets a little bit bolder and nuttier than uh, than it does here. Oh, I also like the way he pays tribute to people like Eisenstein and Capra uh, in the middle of sort of these, these historical anecdotes. Uh, I like the idea that it's also sort of charting the, the evolution of film because that makes sense. Uh, but I, I feel like we could go for even more of that. So, yes, Oliver Stone, for once, not crazy enough. <laughs>
2: On Monday, we also had the voice top 10 perform. I'm just going to mention briefly, I, I do think most of the performers did pretty well, but there are still, people are calling this, uh, pretty much all the recappers seem to think this was like one of the best performances ever in the history of the show from everybody. Everybody was great, um, which is just not true. So I'm kind of confused by that. I understand the coaches getting caught up in it and, you know, they know these people personally, They so it's easier to overlook some... I don't know, singing out of tune and some other things like that, Uh, especially, you know, getting the live performance element to it. But I don't understand why some people are falling all over themselves with some of these performances, you know, when you're watching with that disconnect of the TV. Um, I'm really ready for Sylvia to go home. I didn't think she was that great a couple weeks ago when everybody seemed to have been bowled over by her playing the piano. Somebody playing the piano while they sing is not, Astonishing to me, and it's not like she's Lady Gaga there on the piano. She's not bad or anything. I don't want to bad mouth her. It's just she's not going to win. She's not the best. She doesn't deserve to be here at this point. Um, and there there are several others By the like way, that. It's a
1: lot. It's a lot easier to stay in tune when you're playing piano.
2: Well, and there is was uh, there are a couple, and it's also there are a few spots where like it's a couple weeks ago when she was playing. I was like, if you notice, her hands are up at the mic, and the piano line is still going. So, huh. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll see. Um, so, th- so there's some things like that. We decided, you know, I see she was playing. This was again, this was a couple weeks ago. This last time was different. But she was still playing. I don't, I don't think she wasn't playing or anything. I just think there was somebody else playing that piano line. What she was doing, we probably weren't hearing. Um, so I don't know. There, there, There's some different things like that. The one thing I want to m- mention, uh, Amanda Brown knocked it out of the park again. She was fabulous um, playing a song that I didn't really know. Uh, that was pretty great. Cassidy Pope did a good job on her song. It was actually very emotional. But the trouble is she's not that great a singer. She doesn't have a, a low range, and she keeps picking songs that require a low range. And so those notes are always iffy on pitch and she, she doesn't have any breast support on them and so when she gets to the starts at the low range and gets to it later it you know it, she did a good enough job that she made me wish that she was a better singer so that she could execute what she was trying to do in a better way i mean i get why people it, i it was it, you know her performance made me emotional she did a good job with it but she's just, just not it she isn't a good enough singer um so that that's unfortunate that but i do got to give some love to terry because he did um summer of 69 and it's I loved watching it he he really won me over because there's one part in his performance where you can you can see him he finishes one button you can see him focusing so intently um and 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 just watching it was going I have had that experience before where you can see he's just like counting and then he bring, brings the mic up he brought the mic to start seeing then wait pulled it away it's like nope not yet <laughs> next entrance So like so he was there a couple points there's this one spot in the middle of his performance where you could just see that he he like screwed up and he pulled it up but he like you know, rock and roll, like ad libbed it, made it like seem like it was intentional. And it just as I've just had that experience so many times. of OK, we got 20 bars of rest and then I got to come in. But I got to come in Forte. And is this the entrance? Oh, crap, it's not. Oh, wait, it was. You know, so I really, you know, he I, I'm sure most people didn't even see that at all. But I, I enjoyed it as someone who on a much smaller scale has been there. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. So I, I'm, I'm back to liking The Voice, and hopefully America will choose correctly and eliminate uh, Cody and Sylvia, or, or maybe Melanie. I thought she did better this week, but still, I, there are a few of these people who need to hit the road. So that's The Voice. Uh, next we have the final show is Revolution, Kashmir, which you did not get to. Uh, the This was very well touted as featuring music by Led Zeppelin um and i actually think it was done really well that we get it's another um the characters are oxygen deprived so there's hallucinations i still really really don't care about Zach Orff's wife i wish they would just drop that cuz i re- i just i i don't i literally do not think that i could care less than i do about his <laughs> wife um but there was some really good stuff with miles and uh there was some good stuff with with um charlie and her dad uh, and so, so I think all, all in all worked good. We had uh, worked well. We had Reed Diamond pop up um, in a supporting role, who I always enjoy him. So it's nice to see him get, how you know, at least he gets something to do. And uh, we get a, a rather hardcore move from uh, Elizabeth Mitchell's character this week. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens. But you know, they they I, if they haven't quite won me back, but I'm I will watch next week, which is their. Fall finale.
1: Yeah, I, I I woke up this morning and I had time to watch Revolution. I just didn't feel like it.
2: Yeah, I uh, I so. had time to watch uh, Nashville, but I didn't feel like it. So.
1: Yeah, so. I, I mean, I'll probably watch the Fall finale because next week is Slimmer. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm 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 glad you said it was good, but I'm 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 really dreading just the episode of Revolution that just undoes all my goodwill for it.
2: (laughs) And I do think the, the use of the Zeppelin music is actually really effective. The use of the Zeppelin music is actually incredibly effective in a world where there isn't amplifier amplified music there isn't electric guitar i think the the use of that in one of the the mont in one of the hallucination sequences as well as you know in one of the there's a pendant thing where we hear some zeppelin as well was really great and uh, i i like the reactions that we got uh from people uh, you know with that so you know there was only you know really one sequence that had uh cashmere they used and and um then there was another like 30 seconds of of audio underneath the scene, but for for an episode they were touting as Zeppelin, there really wasn't that much, but... Um,
1: it seems like a really odd gimmick to market an episode around.
2: It does. Apparently Zeppelin have a new CD out, or like a best of, or something.
1: I think it's a live record, actually. Oh, yeah. It's, it's such a tenuous thing, like this insanely old band has a new live record that they that, that was recorded three years ago or something that's finally being released, and now we're going to do this bizarre tie-in with uh, with a show people are already watching and we don't really need to pimp out in this sort of way. It's very strange.
2: Yeah, but, you know, I liked it, so I can't really get them too out of the time. Fair enough. Um, we have a few show notes here before we go to our DVD shelf with uh, Dan Heaton. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. You can find us up at org, where there will be a post for this episode. You can leave us a comment there. Let us know what you're thinking about all these different episodes. Uh, what, uh, what, what episode thanksgiving episodes you are most looking forward to or have most enjoyed perhaps in the past and uh we are also up of course in itunes there's an m4a chaptered feed as well as an mp3 unchaptered feed and we would love it if if you guys would leave us a rating or a review it does help other people find the podcast or of course you can share with your friends on twitter facebook uh any uh, tumblr i think isn't there a sound on site tumblr that's going crazy yes there is I, I, I am behind on that. I I am not yet familiar with tum- Tumblr or Instagram or any of those. I'm barely on Twitter, really. <laughs> um, but, those uh,
1: internets are confusing.
2: But I am on Twitter, at the Televerse. You are?
1: I'm at Sucker Howell.
2: And I always look forward to talking with you guys, so feel free to drop us a line. If you'd like to send an email, you can reach us at theteleverse at gmail.com. And what should our question be?
1: Well, you know, we're only a couple months away from the new year, which means more new shows starting. And... Uh, other shows coming back so i'm curious to see what people are excited about uh returning
2: which premieres maybe okay sounds good let us know what shows you are most stoked for i guess i would have to go justified
1: uh yes yeah we're two months away from new justified, which has me very very excited indeed and and the neighbors looks uh, sorry not the neighbors uh, the americans also looks pretty great potentially
2: i got to see one of the archer episodes of comic-con for next season and it was pretty great
1: Archer's always good.
2: Looking forward to more of that. So let us know what you think. And so we're going to take a quick break, listen to some music, and come back with Sound of Sight's uh, Dan Heaton to talk Sports Night.
0: Roll tape. Good show, everybody. Tonight on Sports Night, we'll show you what comes up. Dan Casey, we're, we're on you in 60 seconds.
2: Uh, excuse me.
1: Dan's got his hand raised.
0: Why are we quoting high-level sources inside the Swiss Olympic Committee on Helsinki's bid for the 2010 Olympics?
1: What's the problem?
2: Helsinki's in Finland. Really? Yeah, don't
1: worry, I got it. Are you sure? Mm. Am I sure that Helsinki's in Finland? Yeah, I'm quite sure. I thought it was in Sweden. It says unnamed Swiss Olympic official.
2: Graphics, which is it, Sweden or Switzerland? It's in Finland.
1: Elliot, get something up on the net. What do you need? We think Helsinki might be in Finland. Yeah, we think there's a pretty good chance. Coming in live in 15. We'll change it on the teleprompter. Cool. We can go out after the show. You can stay at my place. Hey, whatever you need, whatever you need. I'm getting a divorce. I don't need a cruise director. Right? My pal. Can I say anything? In five, four, three, two, one. Good evening, everybody from New York City. I'm Dan Rydell
2: alongside
0: Casey McCall. Those stories and more. Plus, we'll take you live to the locker room at Arrowhead. All that coming up after this.
1: You're watching Sports Night on CSC, so stick around. We're out, up in 60. Yeah? Finland, the national bird is the whooping swan.
2: Thank you. you. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell, and this week at the DVD shelf, we are happy to welcome back Dan Heaton, from one of our contributors over at Sound On Sight, as well as your own fabulous blog, sir, uh, to help us talk about Sports Night. Dan, welcome back to the show.
0: Oh, Thanks, guys. I'm glad to be back. I'm looking forward to talking about a show that I definitely love.
2: Yes, this is our first uh, excursion into Sorkin at the uh, DVD shelf. We're going to be talking West Wing coming up here relatively soon as well. Um, So I'm looking forward to it because I know, Simon, you hadn't seen any Sports Night or or either even really West Wing before watching the newsroom, which we both had some (laughs) issues with over the the past summer. But before we get into that, Dan, why did you want to talk about Sports
0: Night? Yeah, there's there's so many different reasons for me that it's tough to nail down one, but I think to make it the simplest, it would be that I just I just love this show and I love the characters and the characters, I mean, it's A lot of shows you'll have one or two characters that you're a huge fan of, but this is one of those rare shows where if you asked me to pick my favorite, there'd be like four or five different ones. And I also think just within that, um, I'm a big fan of Aaron Sorkin. I haven't seen The Newsroom, but I also really like The West Wing and um, and some of his movie work. And just the way that he takes the half-hour comedy structure, especially from when this came out, and uses it, but I think does some interesting things with it. And I, that just makes it a home run across the board for me.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you like Aaron Sorkin, if you've seen West wing or the newsroom and you like it, you're going to like sports night. And I agree. It's interesting to watch his sort of his progression over his career doing sports night, which, you know, has some issues that I'm sure we'll get into, but it is, you know, it's a 22 minute runtime in general each week. And then to watch that, into the west wing and then into uh studio 60 and then the newsroom he hasn't ever seemed to want to go back to a shorter time uh running time and uh i I don't know before i guess before we get i was going to start talking about uh, some of the the things with this show particularly the i always have trouble with getting people to watch sports Night because of the terrible laugh track early on um but i guess before we get into too much of that simon what did you think
1: um, you know, what's funny is I think I would enjoy Sports Night more if I hadn't watched the newsroom.
2: Ah, and I can see that.
1: I I, I feel as though the, the newsroom, as, as, go back and listen to an older episode of the Televerse if you want to know more about this, but the newsroom is a show with some very serious ideological and script issues and character design issues that, what's interesting to me is that those issues to some degree show up on sports night in a less irritating fashion, but I, I had a difficult time assessing sports night as its own thing because I kept thinking about, Oh, I see how, I mean, obviously for instance, the, the the design of the, of the character of Dana played by Felicity Huffman. It's impossible not to think of Emily Mortimer's character on the newsroom when you're watching sports night and she's not as offensive as Emily Mortimer's character on, on, on the newsroom, partially because she just isn't. And, and partially because, you know, she, this character we're now seeing on a 22 minute comedy. And so we can expect the environment to be a little more madcap that for there to be more antics. And so when we watch our character freak out, it's a little bit less grating, but I, I, I did think of that quite often. So for me, the, the material on the show that worked the most was the uh, Dan and Casey material? That's Josh Kraus. Ah, uh, sorry. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's uh, Peter Kraus and help me out here. Peter Josh Krause Charles.
2: and Josh Charles. Yes.
1: And Josh Charles. Thank you. Um. I and and uh, I, it's been a weird week of like TV deja vu and and pinging back back and forth, watching this and then The Good Wife immediately afterwards. And that guy hasn't aged very much. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I do think uh, that the main sort of couple. This is something you asked me earlier in the week. When as you're watching some of this, uh, I do think the main couple on the show really is uh, Dan and Casey, and I think the strongest parts of this of the series are when those two are are. Communicating, I know later in the run, especially as uh, Sorkin was investigating more into uh, Dan and letting Josh Charles get some darker stuff to play, it it felt like there was a disconnect between those two characters. That was, you know, it was kind of hard to watch. I don't want uh, TV Daddy and Daddy to fight, (laughs) but uh, but no, I you know, I I, it's interesting that you say that you can't watch Dana without thinking of uh, Emily Mortimer's character because that's so. Opposite and backwards because you can't watch Emily Mortimer's character without thinking of Dana who is such a better character and Felicity Huffman, uh, I think does such a better job with again a very similar type or trope, uh, and so so it's just so weird to to for me to hear you you have that perspective on it, Simon. Like of, of course you would, but uh, but yeah. So Dan, I think the answer here is just don't watch the newsroom.
0: <laughs> I I think that makes sense. I think I'm going to hold off on that. And also you mentioned Studio 60. And I I enjoyed that show, too, but I think the issues you brought up are kind of similar, where in that show it's the same thing, where I think Matthew Perry and Bradley Whitford's characters are the best written, in a sense, to me, and the most interesting, mm-hmm. and I'm right with you guys on Dan and Casey, because... When those, especially in the first season, like you mentioned, when those two are just sitting at the desk and back and forth, and their, you know, their relationship—it's perfect. When you start to dig into things, that you know, I love the show, but there are times when Dana and Natalie are, you know, very well done, and then there are times when, especially with one road that Dana takes in the second season, where you think, "What is Aaron Sorkin doing?" And I think that's where the easiest thing you can attack at it. But back to the the time frame, I think one thing I like about Sports Night more than any of his other shows is is the short time frame because the show feels so breezy and relaxed, and he doesn't cram so much. I don't know so much plot into it. It's just some of the show. The, my favorite shows are just them hanging out. It's mm-hmm. just a lot different than when he has an hour, and he had, like with Studio 60, especially when he has to create lots of inventive, crazy plots to fill the hour.
2: Well, and he also tends towards um, more dramatic and uh, stories of import, where you feel the character's being very important, and uh, in, in that that's one of the things that can become a little overbearing with Sorkin from time to time in his hour longs. But with only 22 minutes to work with, you know, if if it's much better with the the, the quick paced walk and talk patter kind of element of his of his voice of Sorkin's voice, and it I just it really makes me think of a screwball comedy. A lot of you know his his rhythms and uh, what he's doing, and I agree because you have that shorter runtime, it does let you be more zany and, and have that. Be acceptable, you know. You get that with some of the female characters, but also with uh, some of the, the men as well. It, it lets you get, you know, some of these really significant character beats and intense moments. You know, like they they have a few of those on this show, um, but without having so much weight behind it because you haven't had as long. So they they're able to build up, to reach a moment, and then come away with it, come away from it, um, and, and not have not make the whole thing seem as i guess self-serious as can happen you know in the weaker moments of some of sorkin's longer
1: shows i do think though that idea of cramming a dramedy into it tw- which it really is what the show is um i i feel like that has some awkwardnesses as well uh, i'm particularly thinking of you know generally speaking when you cut to commercial break uh during a it in a sitcom it's it's not really It's it's not it's not usually at a huge dramatic moment uh, and or or at least not in the way that it occasionally happens awkwardly on this show. Like, for instance, I think it's in uh, Six Southern Gentlemen when uh, Isaac Jaffe, um, Robert Guillaume's character, says something about uh, says something to I believe Josh Charles about how he shouldn't come to him on the authority for all things black. And it should be a, a mark that a remark that we take a second to deal with. And then react to, but instead it cuts to commercial, and it's 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 like they couldn't find a better place to do that. They were just kind
0: of stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, I've only seen the show on DVD, and I think it plays so well that way because you just roll through the episodes, so you don't feel the kind of tightened shortness. I think because they just you can run through, you know, four or five of them, and the story is just kind of flowing. So I think that's a good point about, yeah, like when they have someone like Dan give a big speech about you know, his brother's drug abuse. And if if they cut, you'd say, well, wait, wait, what's going on? Whereas you just roll into the next episode. Well,
2: but then again, you know, on occasion, having going to cutting to commercial after some of those, you know, more significant moments, I feel like you kind of need that space that that provides because most of the show is that, you know, lighter, lighter tone so maybe you need Like I remember a couple shows I was trying to remember who maybe it was Buffy or somebody um, there was something where they if they wanted to have a second of, of blank space they had to actually make it like a dark brown or a dark blue because as soon as they cut to black the the commercials would immediately splice in so there were a couple times where they had to like put up a frame or two of uh of some dark colored thing and have a fake fade to black or cut to black uh things so that they could give moments like the one that Simon that you mentioned um in this other show uh the the time the give the audience the time that they needed and there's a couple moments um that have a similar you know that, that work i think because you don't immediately cut back to you know whatever's going on with jeremy And and Sabrina Lloyd's character as well. Uh, And then, like, one of the ones that pops immediately to mind uh, whenever I think of the show, when I think of dramatic moments, I, I of course, think of Six Southern Gentlemen um, of Tennessee, which I I love that episode. But I also always think of Casey talking to, is it Ten McGinley, about uh, saying, You're wearing my shirt? Uh, And it's just such, you know, there are just certain moments like this that the show, for for what is ostensibly uh, a a dramedy, but, you know, on the more on the comedic end of that, I would say, there are some really punch-in-the-gut moments in this show, and I, and I love them all.
1: One thing I do find interesting also is people talk about, you know, the laugh track and how it appears in the first season and then dims and then season two is not there. That's not exactly true because there's at least one episode in season one with no laugh track, mm-hmm. and, that's, uh, and maybe there's more than one, but Mary Pat Shelby, which is actually only episode five, I think, I, I didn't notice a laugh track on that one. And it makes sense because it's one of the more straight up dramatic episodes.
0: Yeah. I, that That's a good example. I mean, the the only place where I really look the laugh track is something that I notice a lot is like the pilot and a few of the other ones. And it just seems, I think after watching the whole thing, it seems so out of place where, and sometimes they're throwing it in at parts that are kind of funny, but they're awkward. And I think it's, that's a good thing though. Cause it, I had it, You know, I've had experiences where I asked, said, you should watch Sports Night to someone. And they got stuck because of the laugh track before they even got into a few episodes. And I mean, it's unfortunate because I feel like once it really gets rolling five, six, seven episodes in, there's no way they wouldn't keep watching it.
1: Well, and also I I, I noticed that it's a fairly honest laugh track in the sense that, they they're not trying to milk laughs out of scenes that don't feature any jokes, mm-hmm. uh, which is good. But that also results in five, six, seven minute blocks where there is no laugh track, and so that then when it comes back, it's also mixed fairly quietly, which helps. But then when it comes back, it's even more awkward.
2: Well, and yeah, you know, I I think just Aaron Sorkin dialogue, you know, it's something that has often been said of Sorkin, and I think it's absolutely true. He doesn't write for characters; he writes everything in his style, and then the actors have to give it their best shot to give, to to come up with individual characteristics for each of their characters. But Aaron Sorkin dialogue doesn't work with a laugh track because it's too fast. And when you have, it, it, it is just incredibly jarring to have, you know, there's no pause for, for a line to land. That's not how. You know so so I feel like the, some of the earlier episodes where where that laugh track is so much more uh, featured they feel really stilted it you know there's a couple apparently Jeremy is hilarious in his early appearances because everybody likes to there's so many. Just I, I felt like that was the most awkward part watching the the earlier episodes. I've, you know, like his in, in, immediate um, when he first comes into audition for or to interview. Sorry, my my world's getting in here to interview for his job. Uh, it's apparently hilarious that he doesn't know basketball, and so therefore Felicity Huffman asked him about basketball. So I I don't know, but I sorry I'm just rambling a bit. But I I do have had again, like I said that exact same experience where somebody will watch this and just can't get past. You know, that, that, that laugh track. And I know, I'm curious what you guys think about this. I remember watching, I think there's a um, family guy has made some some jokes at the show's expense and some other shows as well. There's this notion that Sports Night isn't actually funny. I think the show is r- hilarious. I really enjoy the comedy of it. Uh, is that just me?
0: Yeah, I am. Um, I, I think it's very funny. I mean, I've, I've watched the show straight through four or five times. And I still was watching it this week and laughing at episodes. And I think maybe it, is, it doesn't just have as many, and that's mainly because of Sorkin, straight-up one-liners, I guess. It's more about, especially once you get to know Dan and Casey and, you know, Jeremy and everyone, that it's funny just because you know them. And if people come in, watch one random episode, they'll be like, well, I don't know why. Why is Casey funny? or why you know." And maybe that's the reason, but for me, I think it's really funny.
1: I it's i don't know i i <laughs> i can get why people don't find it funny um i don't find it funny in an i'm act you can actually hear me laughing kind of way i very rarely audibly laughed while watching and i i watched about 15 to 20 episodes i'm not sure somewhere in between not quite half the show and it was pretty rare that i was audibly laughing it's more of a it's more of a smirking series than a laughing series for me
2: Okay fair enough. So should we do characters episodes?
1: Well I I feel like given my earlier tirade, I feel like we need to talk about Dana. Okay, let's talk about Dana. I, I kind of feel like she she was the biggest sticking point for me because like as much as I like Felicity Huffman, I feel like there's that just predicts so everything that's wrong with with the newsroom and it, it, she doesn't always bother me but the number of episodes in which her personal life intrudes on her professional life and she lets it happen, is a little ridiculous.
2: Oh, I love Dana. I think Dana's great. And uh, while, yes, you can see what... This is why, if you listen to some of the early reviews of Newsroom that we were doing, um, I was complaining about how the Newsroom was everything good about Sports Night done not as well, and all of the problems just taken to 11. (laughs) Because, yeah, there is that disconnect there with that character as far as every, very few other characters seem to bring their personal lives in um every now and again you'll get like jeremy with the hunting you know affects his personal life and and dan with his depression and uh casey you know with his, some of his personal issues as well but uh there is somewhat of a disconnect between dana bringing her personal life in and everybody else however i think felicity hoffman is great and i really enjoy the character of, of dana aside from let's talk about what you i assume this is what you're talking about dan that that one storyline really we, we both like each other we want to date oh but you need to date other people first instead that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard in my entire life and i was just it was driving me nuts for that entire arc
0: yeah that every time i watch it it's like i forget cuz they have the first episode of the second season what called um, special powers where they, you know, finally Casey and Dana kiss and it's a great episode and then they come back and it's painful and it's not, it's not one of those things where they do it for two episodes. They commit to this and it basically goes through the entire second season and it's, it's, it doesn't make, it really for me, when I look at her character, I think she's – I love Felicity Huffman, and I think she's great in terms of the screwball atmosphere of the – she's like almost like a 1930s screwball character. But that arc, it's like that arc right there really hurts because even when she has the issues with Gordon in the first season and she's being a little silly, you can totally buy it. I don't buy that for a second. I think it's Sorkin trying to find a way to keep them apart, and it doesn't feel real.
2: It is weak
1: sauce. <laughs> In the annals of TV shows dealing with will they, won't they, that's not a good direction to take, just so everybody knows.
2: Yeah. God, yeah. It's it's really, it, it, not only is it a stupid idea on her part, but it's a cruel idea as well. That I really like you and you really like me, but no, I want you to go date other people and, so that and make sure that you don't like them as much as you like me before you can go. It's it's it's. I want you spend your waste your time uh, dating these other people, but you better not like them. And if you do like them, I'm going to be hurt. It's so selfish and it's just it's terrible. And the less said about it, the better. I've probably already said too much about it.
1: Yeah. Well, and and sorry, and to say one last thing about it, if you go along with that sort of arrangement there's something wrong with you as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about Isaac though. I we, Sorkin shows usually have this older mentor character on, of course you have Isaac here, you have Leo on the West wing. Um, there's, I guess it would be the, the Hirsch character on studio 60. And then of course, Sam Waterston on newsroom. Uh, I really enjoy Robert Guillaume. And I, I, you know, I thought the way that they incorp that Aaron Sorkin incorporated his stroke into Isaac I thought was really interesting and it's just such a fully realized character again on a Sorkin show where Sorkin's not going to give you that full realization. You have to bring that to, you know, bring that to your performance. Uh, What did you guys think about Isaac?
0: I think that it's great. I mean, he's one of my favorite characters and it's like you said, it's so much because of Robert Guillaume. He brings a lot more to the part than what's written and that whole part where he i mean where he has the stroke and then when he comes back at the end and it rolls into the second season that that just brings so much more like we've talked about when the drama really takes over like i mean they didn't plan for that obviously but the way that they handled it it's like you can just you can feel it in the actors too that they're you know because he really did have a stroke they're really feeling it and that that i think that works really well especially because we've gotten to know his character for so long on the show
1: I I like um I like Isaac I do have I think there are some uh plausibility issues for me with the the degree to which he seems utterly disinterested in anything his higher ups have to say about the direction of the show and this is again a problem on the newsroom whoops but uh yeah just th- it just didn't seem credible to me uh that he's that he's so actively Antagonizes his his bosses.
2: Interesting 'cause um, and I don't still get, has a job. I don't get that at all with him. I get I he always feels like someone who I mean, maybe I'm just comparing him with the others who fill that role in the different shows, but he does feel like the one who most is, is most actively Uh, interested in what the higher ups have to say. And I immediately go to something like six Southern gentlemen where he does, you know, come out and speak up and say something that he knows will get him into trouble with the owner of, of the station. But but he, he has to be really solidly convinced into doing so because he he does not want to. And, and uh, you know, there are a couple different moments like that in the series where I feel like this, the standard TV thing to have happen is to be, oh, we're just going to fight the man or whatever. And, and so I, I I feel like he has a more measured approach to that, or that character does.
1: Uh, I, more measured than maybe it has to be, but still not quite as measured as I would have liked maybe.
2: Okay, fair enough. Now I think it's interesting, uh, Simon, that for you Dana is the weak point because for me it's it's I mean, as much as I do enjoy all these characters, but I I, I do think it has to go to Jeremy and Natalie. Uh, just between the two of them, I, I you know I, I think the other characters all all work a lot better. Um, there there are times when Natalie really works and when Jeremy really works, but I, there are very few times when I, I feel like both of them are working just as well. Yeah, and I think
0: I really I like both of the the actors, but they get together very early in the show. So I think again it's one of those things where they sell it when they break up a few times, but some of their like little spats that happen over he went and played tennis or, or she wanted to go out. Again, it's one of those things where it doesn't work as well like we talked about then like Dan and Casey and some of the others. I think I think they do the best they can with the material, but that is something that shows up when you've watched it a few times. You're like, oh, this is the one where they argue the whole time.
1: Yeah, I I feel like the show has a general problem with
0: knowing what to do with characters after getting them together. Mm -hmm. I think Jeremy has many standout episodes and, and nothing against Sabrina Lloyd at all. It's just that at times they'll have an argument and the show is on his side. You can feel it. Oh, clearly. Poker. Yeah. And it's really rough because then they go through the whole thing and then he eventually eventually agrees with him. But it's tough on her. It's not really fair to her at all.
2: Yeah. I feel like if anything, the problems that we're going to see come up in the newsroom, are more clearly foreshadowed by the Natalie character. And she's the, you know, I love that how she, at the beginning of the show, she's really great at her job and really smart and really competent. But then you have this notion of Jeremy protecting her and knowing what's best for her and she doesn't. And there's a lot, I mean, the scene that always reminds me that that the most... uh you know, fully, is that that poker scene where Jeremy is, like, breaking down why she shouldn't do this and just has some really personal, hurtful things in front of the entire workplace. And you could tell the show is on his side. And, like, that's somehow—it's somehow okay because what he's saying is accurate, that it's okay to to put somebody in this position. And so I think the way that, that Sorkin really weakens the, in Natalie, you know, at various points in the series— is a big indicator of some of his later uh, lady troubles. As as uh, there was a TM a Big Red podcast.
0: Yeah, I agree. That was the exact scene I was thinking of. It was the, I watched that this week again? Was the poker scene, and this time it really, and I, I haven't even seen the newsroom, so just on its own, came off to of me <laughs> like I watched it and I thought, wow, he's being really brutal, really and condescending. It's yeah, it's not that he's wrong, but then for her to turn around and you know. Say, oh well, you're right, you're great. And it's like, really would you do that? I especially given like you said, the way she was with like when she had the the issue, you know, the, the whole thing with the sports player and her, you know, getting in all this all of that, and the way she handled that so well in the beginning, this doesn't almost it's not that much later in the show, and it feels so different.
1: Well, and what seems really especially odd to me, and again I relate to to the newsroom is from what I've seen of the West Wing these issues are much more muted, if not
0: Gone. outright absent,
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, in the West Wing, and there's plenty of opportunity for it. It just doesn't happen. Well, there are only really he...
2: two main female characters on the West Wing, and you know. No, but still, I yeah. Mean,
1: and but there are a lot of supporting female characters. I suppose. There's, yeah. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of you know gender interaction. There's a lot of opportunities to be just as condescending and awful, but. It just didn't happen, and then for somehow it reverted to it. I don't know if it's if it has to do with the inside TV setting, if it's reliant on that or not. Like were these issues in Studio 60 as well?
2: Yes, I would yes. say definitely.
0: There were okay. a few female characters, most notably, um, well, the Sarah Paulson character, and um, I'm forgetting. Oh,
1: I remember. You know. <laughs> where they
0: struggle. He struggles to write her and does not treat her very well.
2: Now, one of the things I think the show does do a pretty good job with, actually, is the Natalie and Dana relationship. They, you know, I, I enjoy their interactions. Um, while, yes, it's all Sorkin dialogue, they, it does seem like their friendship is different than, say, Dan and Casey's. And I like that, you know, especially in the the arc that Natalie gets with, you know, where she Gets uh, sexually assaulted to some to some level by this uh, by this player. Uh, I I I like that you have that dynamic between the two of them, and I, I think this what they what Sorkin gives the two you know, actors to work with is really great, and so it's fun to see just that sort of a relationship. You don't really in West Wing you don't really get it, and you get very little in Studio sixty uh, of female friendships, and so that's what I think one of the strengths of this show versus the other Sorkins.
1: Yeah. As, as I think we've established, the same-sex relations are a lot sturdier than the actual romantic relationships.
2: Now, do you guys have favorite episodes you want to mention? Or, you know, the other side?
0: <laughs> um, sure. I can name a few. It, I couldn't come up with one. I've, we've already mentioned a few that I wrote down. But one that I think is very good in the first season is Eli's Coming, which is actually the one with Isaac's Stroke when they find out. Uh, Dan spends the whole episode basically like, something's wrong. Think Bad things are going to happen, and then they slowly do with everyone. And one other one, there's a funny one that I really like called The Cut Man Cometh in the second season that is not one of the heavier episodes, but um, there's just Dan and Casey interacting with this drunk boxing commentator that I think is very silly. And finally, um, Celebrities, which I think is just a really good episode to show the people bonding together as a, an office.
1: Uh, yeah, I quite like The Cut Man Cometh. Uh, it's got a lot of good Dan Casey material. It also has some kind of – some rather annoying Dana material, to be honest. But uh, I, I think that's – where you know, because the episode is so fun and she's being such a stick in the mud, uh, and it's really glaring. But anyway, um, I also really like uh, Rebecca from season one, and I liked that character and her interactions with Josh Charles. And I I think it makes total sense that when it comes to the end of the series, she's kind of like – the, the 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 uh the love interest who's who stuck it out because mm. uh, they do have great chemistry and it's too bad we didn't get more of that um let's see those are both good uh actually every episode you mentioned is good i mean i i, I found in general the show was pretty consistent i there weren't really any individual episodes that bothered me i missed the poker episode so i guess i, I guess i should count myself lucky there
2: well the, the thing that's frustrating for me with the poker episode is that I really have trouble with that scene, but I love the comedy of it. Shoe Money Tonight. Yeah, I have a lot of fun with most of the rest of the episode. Um, Other than a few episodes, pretty much all the ones that you guys have mentioned, I actually tend to think, like with some other shows, I think of this in in more moments and storylines. So I love Dana and the Lion King. I I love um, when we, we deal with the whole Bobby storyline, but was it Bobby Baron's scene or something like that? The Lisa Edelstein character and I love the way that that plays out. Um I w I wanna see that's in Cutman we get the ending of that or yeah. maybe Eli. Yeah coming. we do. I think that's that's fabulous. Um I really like the stuff we get with William H. Macy. He's not on my uh T V enough because I don't uh haven't seen, you know, was it episode no, what's his show? Shameless. Shameless I haven't seen Shameless, but I really enjoy getting to see uh William H. Macy and Felicity Huffman together. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think I tend towards more moments or or arcs or even just, you know, things like Dan calling. uh, uh, Sorry, Casey calling Dana smoky. Those are the kind of things that pop into my into my mind when I think of the show rather than full episodes.
1: Can I just say that you've mentioned William H. Macy and Felicity Huffman. So I have to just mention Felicity H. Muffman. (laughs) <laughs>
2: are you very proud of yourself?
0: Yes. yes okay. Am. Yeah, I totally agree about the moments because that I struggled to come up with certain episodes because I feel like if I, if I had just watched any episode in particular, I could probably, not any episode, but at least 20 episodes, I could call that my favorite. So, and the way the first season ends, those last three or four are all great too.
2: So, so I guess uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up?
1: Oh, one last uh, bit of annoyance with Dana, and then I'll s- stop talking. Good. <laughs> okay. uh, the fact that she doesn't immediately figure out who Clark Gregg is in those last few episodes. <laughs> Come on.
0: <laughs> um, so I'm curious, quickly, what are your? Who are your favorite character? Like, what's your favorite character of the cast?
2: Yeah, it probably would change depending on which episode I had more recently seen. Um, I guess I, I really enjoy like we said, the duo of, of of Dan and Casey. I guess if I had to pick one, I'd go with Casey. I do really enjoy um, Peter Krause, I think, does a really good job with, with the patter. Um, but I, I want to say, I, I'm getting, you know, it's good. I'm going Isaac. Isaac is my favorite character.
1: I got to go with Casey, and I, I I do agree he's a great fit for this, and I also just dread the fact that right after this is over, he's going to spend years and years trapped in Six Feet Under.
0: Yeah. Um, I was close to almost pick Casey, but I actually came in with Dan. I think there's, I don't know. I mean, he goes through a rough patch in the in the second season, but I don't know. There's some, Josh Charles just handles the dialogue and the wit so well. And so does Peter Krause. They're both. Right.
2: Well, and this is a show. One of the things that I, one of the reasons I hold this show so, so close uh, is that this is a show that really introduced me to a lot of these people that I really enjoy. So, Josh Charles, I remember seeing uh, when The Good Wife was premiered, I was like, Josh Charles is finally on my TV again. I was so glad to, you know, to see him get another good role. And I think he's really good here. And also Peter Krause and Felicity Hoffman. And pretty much this entire cast was introduced to me by, by, uh, um, night Other than Sabrina Lloyd, I, first uh, saw on on sliders so uh, so i enjoyed it there as well but um but no i think it has a really like when you look at who even the recurring characters are it has a really deep cast
0: yeah i agree and it also has um ted mcginley the um the show killer on there Mm -hmm. as gordon (laughs) so um, i had to mention him but i think he does a good job i don't think he's great yeah
2: no (laughs) absolutely so uh dan any final thoughts on uh sports night
0: no, I um, I'm glad we talked about it, and um, I think it's a show that a lot of people, especially people that have seen these actors and other things, would really enjoy, despite some of the issues we mentioned. It's it's a great show, and it, and it doesn't take too long to go through it.
2: Yeah, I find it incredibly watchable, and maybe it's just you know like, the thing with comedy is it's always so personal. But um, you yeah, I th- I do think that it's it's a very it's this you know, despite all the dramatic moments that we mentioned I think I I can't actually, can you guys think of any dramatic moments that don't work?
1: Not really. I mean, I, th- there aren't that many yeah. moments. I mean, there's They're a just lot memorable moments. Uh, yeah.
2: Um, so, so, you know, there, there are the, the dramatic moments for the most part work. So, you know, I, I think the comedic on the comedic side, this is a really breezy show for me it's really zany and breezy but really watchable so i would say check it out and if you know if you can get past the the laugh track episodes uh you know if you can get you know in enough to to get to see what the show's like without the laugh track um and you like you know kind of pick a random episode if you like the comedy you'll probably really like the show
0: yeah i can get behind that i agree
2: so dan thank you again for uh, for coming on where can our listeners find you online
0: well, I write first of all, of course. I write for Sound On Site. I'm right now. I'm recapping um, Survivor and The Amazing Race every week. So,
2: and I believe you're in second place in our pool.
0: Yeah, Simon just will not relinquish his lead. Yeah. No, and I
1: and I didn't even remember to take picks this week, so <laughs>
0: it wouldn't just... let you actually. But
1: no. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, the previous week, I I didn't, and I was stuck with them. Yeah,
2: the de- like three people did the default picks. And they got second place for
0: this week. (laughs) And I did worse. Yeah, Um, I did worse, too. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm also, um, I have a blog called um, Public Transportation Snob, which is actually about movies, not public transportation. Mm -hmm. And it's at ptsnob.com. And I'm on Twitter at ptsnob.
2: Well, yeah. Again, thank you so much for coming on. So glad to to finally talk some some good Sorkin on here, as much as time as we did spend talking about the newsroom. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.
1: to be unexpected be okay. accelerated. Dude.
2: Did <laughs>
1: okay. you just calm him down by saying dude?
2: But He's getting too insistent now,